Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. Good afternoon, Fantasy Baseball fans. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. I'm hosting this week, for better or for worse, Mike Carter. I'm here with my ever-intrepid co-host, Christopher Torres. And I have to tell you, Torres, again, I know we talk about this fairly frequently, your beard is completely on par for the middle of an afternoon in late May. I mean, you are looking fresh. You are looking great. I, on the other hand, have to go to the barber this afternoon because I have a charity event tonight, and my wife told me that I cannot look like this and be seen in public. So any tips that you have before I go to the barber? What should I be doing here? That needs a lot of work, man. I, <laughs> that uh, I, I ain't got go to the barber and see what they could do. I can't help you with that. But uh, no, man, happy to be here. Um, you know, I, I feel like we're getting into a little bit of a routine, you know, now that we're recording every week and, and we've been having some really good guests. So just uh, happy to continue with the podcast. And uh, yeah, let's let's get right to it. With us today, we have a great guest, I think, uh, somebody that I've been talking to on Twitter for an email for the last month, trying to get her to come on and find a time around her busy schedule. But with us today is Betsy Helfen, the Twins beat writer for the Pioneer Press in the Twin Cities, covering the Minnesota Twins and knowing all things Minnesota Twins. And of course, we are going to have to ask her about Byron Buxton, everybody's favorite fantasy player. But Betsy, welcome to the show. Thanks for being on with us. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. Really happy to have you on. Betsy, the first question I really want to ask you is, how did you get interested in baseball when you were, I'm guessing it was probably when you were far younger than what we are right now, but how did you choose uh, sports writing as a career and, and what was your first interest in baseball? Can you tell us? Um, my first interest in baseball goes so far back that like I don't even remember uh, remember it. Uh, my family had White Sox season tickets, not something I admit in Minnesota all that often. Um, so I grew up going to maybe 40 or so White Sox games a year, and that was just kind of you know what we did during the summer as a family. Um, and so so many of my early memories, you know, center around that. And so, when I was looking, you know, into potential careers, um, I took a journalism class in high school, really liked it, and always knew that if I was going to go down the journalism path, that I wanted it to be sports journalism. And beyond that, always knew that if I was going to write about sports, that baseball was going to be the one uh, that I wanted to really focus on. Um, I love all sports, but baseball is really, uh, really what calls out to me the most. So, um, Majored in journalism in college, worked for the student newspaper, did a couple internships. Um, a couple of them were focused specifically on baseball. Um, covered a minor league team for three years. So that was really great experience. And then um, ended up getting my job uh, at the Pioneer Press, which was a paper that I interned for when I was in college. So kind of came full circle. And how long have you been at the Pioneer Press now, Betsy? Uh this is my fifth baseball season, which okay. is a little hard to believe. Uh, obviously, we had the shortened season, so it doesn't exactly feel like year five, but uh, year five. <laughs> Very cool. Well, you know, I want to ask you a little bit uh, about the the field in general and and about uh, your experience. Just any any obstacles that that you faced going into the field. If you could speak um, a little bit to that. Yeah, I would say like no more so than anyone else except that it's just a very difficult field to get into because mm -hmm. you know it's such a cool awesome job to get to you know watch baseball every day and be paid for it so i'm super jealous let me tell yeah, you <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun uh, mm -hmm. so you know no, i would say no more so than normal except for the fact that it's just you know a job that a lot of people like and there aren't that many traveling beat writer jobs so right. You know, I did like four internships in college and whatever. And by the time I was taking my fourth one, you know, I had just, I graduated, I did the MLB internship, MLB.com. They had a, an internship program um, back in the day. And a lot of current beat writers actually, you know, went through that program. And once I finished that, I was like, okay, like it's time to get a job. And 
you know, the job market is so competitive. So I took another internship. I was like, okay, after this, like it's time to get a full-time job. And thankfully that, that kind of led into, um, you know, a full-time job covering a minor league team. So it was a little hard at that point. Cause I was like the last summer I had been covering the twins for MLB.com as an intern. And then to go back and be covering minor league baseball, I was like, is this like a step back? But if, mm-hmm. you know, just like a player, you kind of had to, you know, pay work your, your way up. Yeah. Pay your dues. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you, you absolutely did that. And, uh, like you said, it's not an easy field to get into. So if you could just quickly tell us, like, what is, is there one uh, strategy or maybe personal quality that you feel kind of got you over that hurdle and got you into this field, which we know is, is really competitive? Um, I don't know about strategy so much so, but like whenever I talk to, um, you know, college students or high school students who are interested, it's just like a matter of, you know, them reaching out to me is like a great step and something I don't even think I did when I was that age because they're beginning to, you know, network and start making connections in the field. And I think that's really like, I guess, you know, the biggest thing and internships are so great for that because you meet so many people and, you know, obviously my two jobs. So the first one was at the Review Journal in Las Vegas. That was an internship that turned into a job and my job now, that was an internship you know, that turned into a job. So I think it's just really about making connections with, with people you meet. Cause you never know, um, you know, one day, you know, down the road, if there might be a job there or, you know, mm-hmm. just having those connections is, is really valuable. For sure. Well, that's really interesting stuff. And thank you for sharing that. Cause I, I think there's a lot of people who listen, who w- wonder how you guys get into the jobs that you do. And there's, there's only 30 of them. Right. So, um, and other newspapers and stuff in different towns and whatnot. Yeah. I understand that, but th- it's a very, very uh, hard job to come by. So kudos to you for landing that and doing a great job. We read your stuff at the pioneer press um, all the time and, and researching the twins because they're, my favorite team's biggest rival, although it's not really much of a rivalry right now because the White Sox can't beat anybody. So let's let's talk a little bit about the 2023 Twins, Betsy. Um, they've been kind of hovering about 500 all year. I think right now they're 28 and 27, and they're a couple games up in first uh, first place in the American League Central, which is arguably the weakest division in baseball right now. Um, what do you think is the team's strength this year, and what do you see as their weaknesses? And do you think that they have the wherewithal to be able to compete all year to win the title on the AL Central? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that they are more talented than they've shown. And as you mentioned, they play in the weakest division in baseball. So I don't really see them, you know, going anywhere. I think they'll stick around. Um, I kind of thought they would win the division before the year. I thought Cleveland would be a little bit better, but um kind of thought they might win the division before the year. And I, I really haven't wavered off of that. Um, obviously biggest strengths in the earliest part of the season. Uh, the starting pitching has been fantastic. Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan. I mean, those two guys look like they could be competing for the Cy Young award later this year. Um, so starting pitching has really carried them. They've had a couple injuries in the rotation. Bailey Ober and, and Louis Varland have come up and stepped right in. So they, um, you know, they had so many injuries last year and they really, I think, did a good job accounting for that and planning for, you know, how much depth they would need. Uh, the depths got tapped into more than they would have hoped early on. But, um, you know, Louie and Bailey, as I said, have, have stepped in really well. Uh, weaknesses, they really have not hit like uh, like we've expected them to. Um this is not not what you'd expect to see from Carlos Correa. Um, I still have have confidence that he'll turn it around. I think you know he's obviously a better player than we've seen. He's looked really good defensively, but just has not kind of gotten there yet with the bat. Um, Jose Miranda was supposed to be a big part of this team, and he's in AAA right now. You know he wasn't producing, um, and just you know a few other guys. The lineup really hasn't clicked yet. Um, but I think they have the hitters, you know, to make it happen. I think they will. Um, and the bullpen's been bullpen was a little better earlier in the year. The bullpen's been a little shaky now, um, so that's definitely something that I think will be addressed at the trade deadline as well. Mm-hmm. 
One of the strengths that you mentioned, obviously, you said was the starting pitching, and and Sonny Gray has has been at the forefront of that. He's been terrific to start the year. Is there anything in particular that has changed about Sonny Gray? Uh, is there anything that you attribute his his early success to? I think the biggest thing for him is he last year came in to spring training. He was the Reds player rep. Um, I think the lockout kind of, I don't want to say snuck up, but like by the time he got to camp, he was not as prepared as he would have you know, liked to have been. He was doing all, you know, some no- negotiation stuff, wasn't as prepared. And then kind of throughout the course of the year last year, he pitched pretty well, but he dealt with a lot of different, um, you know, soft tissue injuries, hamstring injuries, landed on the injured list three different times. This year, he was ultra prepared by the time he got, you know, got to camp. He said he had thrown 15 bullpens, said he felt great, um, was working a little bit more on his cutter and his changeup. He's throwing six different pitches uh, right now. He's looked very good. Even the days where he doesn't have his best stuff, he's been able to kind of maneuver his way through. Uh, hasn't given up a home run all season yet. Really, I mean, I'm trying to think. He hasn't really had like a truly bad start. He is very hard on himself, so he might say he might say otherwise. But you know, every time they give him the ball, he gives them a chance to win. Yeah, he's been phenomenal this year, and I'm very, very grateful, Torres, that you recommended that I nab him in a few of my fantasy leagues. Um, he's been the ace of my staff, bar none, and that's the only reason why I'm still floating in some of those leagues at this point. <laughs> Betsy, one of the things that we see with the Twins that you've talked about a little bit earlier are injury concerns, and this is a team that um, has had several of them. Uh, Byron Buxton is always a bit of an injury concern. Jorge Polanco has got a hamstring issue. Nick Gordon just moved to the 60-day IL, I think, this week with a shin injury, and Max Kepler just bounced back uh, with a hamstring issue. What do you kind of see what happening with uh, Polanco and Gordon, I guess? And then if it's a kind of a follow-up to that, what are they doing to try to keep Buxton healthy this year, if anything? So Jorge seems to be doing pretty well. He was doing – so they're on a you know quick three-day trip to Houston, but he was you know doing activities on the field – this past weekend, I'm sure he's continued with that. It seems as if he should probably, they don't really like to give timelines. It seems as if he should be back, you know, on this next homestand against Cleveland sometime within the next couple of days. Uh, Nick Gordon, obviously 60 day injured list. It's going to be at least two months. Wouldn't be surprised if that's closer to three, um, you know, really tough break literally for him. He fouled a, mm-hmm. you know, a ball off his shin. Uh, fractured it so he's gonna be out for a while um as far as byron um they haven't put him in center field all year i'm sure you guys have seen that and i don't anticipate him going out there anytime soon um i think they have gotten to the point where you know they believe having his bat in the lineup every day at dh and i think if i'm not mistaken he's he's either leading the team in games played or or right at the top and same with at bats. I mean, he has been in the lineup almost every single day, which is, you know, not something we're necessarily used to seeing from him, but it's a great sign, even if it means, you know, he's not out there running around in center field. And I think, you know, he is healthy, but I think they believe that if they put the strain of running around in center field, you know, every day or even a few times a week, he's going to, Miss, you know, he might be able to do it, but he'll miss more time. He won't be playing. He's not going to be playing center field and playing every single day. So um, they went out this off season. They got Michael A. Taylor. So, you know, not really a drop off in defense and center. And he's been platooning a little bit lately. But um, I think that's the biggest thing is just keeping him off his feet for, a, you know, for, a, you know, a little bit and, it was something that I think, you know, he wasn't at first totally, you know, on board with because he was saying like, you know, if I strike out, I want to have the chance to be able to rob, you know, rob a hit from someone or, or make up for it on defense. But he had a long meeting uh, with Carlos Correa. They had a long dinner in spring training and Carlos was telling him, you know, just how valuable he is to the team, having his bat in the lineup, having his presence, you know, in the dugout. He's very 
charismatic guy, very, very important part of the twins. So uh, keeping him, um, you know, keeping him healthy right now means not sending him out to center field. So that's, that's what they're doing for now. It's really interesting. And that's, you know, like these little tidbits are, uh, why we love having beat writers on, like just learning about this dinner between Carlos Correa and Byron Bucks. That's such a, an interesting, you know, cause I would think that, like you said, he would be given, especially his abilities as a defender. Uh, he wouldn't be uh, on board with that, but it sounds like, uh, you know, some some convincing was needed, and uh, that's that's just really interesting. Uh, but one player who has really benefited from some of these injuries in terms of playing time is uh, twin second baseman Edouard Julian, and I think I'm saying that first name correctly. Um, so, if you could tell us what his outlook uh, you think is, Betsy, um, do you see him sticking with the uh, the big league club long term? Um. So at this point he they are really only having him play second base um where he is even a little bit defensively stretched there um they haven't really you know experimented with him in other places so at this point it's kind of hard to see a uh you know a place for him once Jorge Polanco comes back he was up you know earlier in the year when when Jorge started the year with a knee injury but it seems hard to kind of see where they would find playing time for him. Obviously he's one of their top prospects, so they don't want to have him up just to sit on the bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the limitations of having Byron, you know, DH every day is that, you know, if Byron was going out to center, you could just have, you know, Eddie Julian DH, but, you know, or Jorge and, and one could mm-hmm. be at second, but, um, you know, those at bats are, those potential at bats that you know somebody else might be taken are, are being taken by Byron. So I don't really necessarily see a way uh, he's going to stay up when Jorge comes back. That's really interesting. Yeah, I, he's a, he was a prospect that we saw down in the Arizona Fall League when we were down there in November, and the bat looked very legit when we were down yes. there at the time. Yeah. So that is very legit. Draws a ton of walks. You know, very impressive at the plate. Um, so I, I am interested to see what kind of the plan for him moving forward is, you know, is there never going to be a way for you know him to be up while Jorge's healthy? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what the plan is in the, in the near term, I guess, or maybe far term in the near term. I think the plan will be to send him down uh, when Jorge gets back. It would seem to be that way. Yeah. Another prospect that is electric there in Minnesota that I wish that the White Sox had, but they don't is Royce Lewis. Uh, hit a home run over the weekend, uh, benefiting one of my fantasy teams, which was great. What do you see his role being the rest of the year? Is he going to be the starting third baseman? I think a lot of people like me who don't know anything thought Jose Miranda was going to take that job and kind of run with it, but he had really struggled with the bat to begin the season. Do you see Royce Lewis being the third baseman the rest of the way? Yeah, I mean, so Royce came back two days ago. It was the one-year anniversary of uh, – Actually, the day he injured himself, he ran into the center field wall, um, tore his ACL for the second time. Um, so he missed, you know, a year recovering from that. And during the course of, of his recovery, I think some, you know, sometime in the future, maybe they'll send him back into the outfield. Maybe he'll be a center fielder at some point. But during the course of his recovery, they decided that the best thing for Royce would be to keep him on the infield dirt, specifically third and short. Obviously, on this team, there aren't really at-bats at shortstop uh, very often unless Carlos is hurt, and Carlos has been in the lineup almost every day. So it it certainly appears as if Royce will kind of be, you know, be the starting third baseman moving forward. Uh, I am interested to see what kind of the path will be for Jose Miranda. Um, Not the best defensive third baseman, so first base might be a better fit for him anyways. Uh or even DH, um, but I guess we'll just have to see. Uh, he hasn't really been hitting that much at AAA, so it doesn't necessarily seem like a return is kind of imminent anyways. Um, and I do think they're kind of, you know, they've been waiting to see Royce for so long, and I think they're kind of ready to just turn him loose uh, and kind of let him be their, their third baseman. I mean, he looks awesome, and just he seems like uh... – 
like a, just such a vibrant personality. Like he, he I yeah. saw an interview with him on MLB network. Like the dude seems to have the it factor, you know, that's at least how it comes across. Uh, so super excited to see him play, but quickly following up on Jose Miranda, what happened with him? I was really high on him uh, going into the year, you know, and I, I, maybe I overweighted his spring training performance, but like he was crushing in spring training. Uh, and then it just, just nothing. Once the season started, uh, what are your thoughts, Betsy, on on Jose Miranda and, and what happened here? Yeah, he looked great in spring training. We did a little like just between like, you know, the group of beat writers, we did our little like picks to click and he looked so mm-hmm. good that I was like, I picked him as my guy for this year. Uh, it was, like you know, kind of surprising to see uh, grounding out a lot. Didn't see a lot of power. I guess poor swing decisions, swinging at pitches he shouldn't have been swinging at. Um, It just kind of looked all around. He just looked a little bit lost at the plate and they sent him down. They said they wanted, uh, you know, wanted him to use the time as a a kind of mental reset, physical reset, just, you know, give him a chance to kind of work through some things at AAA without the pressure of having to try and, you know, produce every single day. And especially to, at the time they sent him down, um, you know, earlier it was like kind of the whole lineup was struggling. A lot of guys were trying to do, you know, a little bit too much at the plate. Um, so hopefully he's able to kind of get that sorted through, through down with the Saints. Yeah, it seems like he, you know, he had a lot of potential. So hoping he could tap into that. Um, wanted to also ask you about Louis Varland, uh, a guy who really... I know, Mike, in fantasy circles, this was not a guy we were talking about who was really much on the radar for this season. But he's he's turned into a, a really valuable piece for the Twins. So what do you what are your thoughts, Betsy, on his performance? And what do you think his outlook is for the rest of the season? Yeah, it's a very exciting story, especially in Minnesota, because he's a local kid, you know, went to college, went to high school in Minnesota, went to college in Minnesota, was drafted by the right. Twins in the 15th round. 15th or 16th round. So uh, he has done a lot of, you know, work with twins coaches to get him to, you know, where he's at velocities, you know, up from where it was when they drafted him. Uh, He's looked very good. Uh, He was their minor league pitcher of the year last year, came up for four or five games at the end of last year. They got, you know, a little, little look at him. He was, you know, seventh on the depth chart to begin the year, but, Tyler Malley got hurt. He's out for the season. Kenta Maeda got hurt. He's been out for about a month. So Louis had, you know, a little bit more of an extended opportunity um, at the major league level. He's looked pretty good. I would say a few too many home runs, but otherwise, you know, another guy who's given them a chance on pretty much every start he's, he's had. Um, I'm not exactly sure what, uh, you know, what their plan is when Kenta Maeda is ready to come back. Um, Kenta didn't necessarily look great before he got injured to begin with. Um, but they did say they're building him back as a starter, um, as opposed to trying to, um, kind of build him back as a long reliever. So he went out, he had one rehab start, um, yesterday, he's got another rehab start on Sunday. Um, and then I don't know if he'll, he'll need a third or what. Um, so, you know, at that point, if they are planning on activating Kenta, I'm I'm not totally sure. It, it would seem odd to take Louie out of the rotation the way he's you know he's been pitching, but um, it's one of those things that trying to plan too far into the future. It's like you know injuries will arise, other things will arise. The opportunity, um, you know, for Kenta to get back into the rotation, uh, so. I guess that's a lot of rambling to say I'm not totally <laughs> sure, but I, I, yeah. I expect to see him with the major league team for a lot of this year. I would think any chance that they go with a six man rotation. I don't think so. Um, well, it was something we asked about, I guess we haven't asked about that recently. It was something we asked about a lot during spring training because Bailey Ober looked absolutely fantastic during spring training and they ended up, you know, sending him down to AAA to start the year. And they did, they really didn't seem inclined to go in that direction. I'm not sure um, 
you know, that that would change. Sometimes they like inserting a starter kind of as a one-off thing just to get everyone like an extra day of rest, but I'm not sure a six-man rotation consistently is in their plans. Sure. Well, Betsy, we're coming to the end of our time with you, and thank you so much for making time today. I know that your schedule is exceptionally busy, and uh, you're doing a lot of really great stuff. Can you tell our listeners where they can find your work and anything that you might have uh, that you're working on right now that you want to share? Um, sure. Yeah. So everything I write goes in the St. Paul Pioneer Press. Um, if you don't live in Minnesota, that's TwinCities.com. You can find all of uh, all of our twin stuff and lots of other good stuff in the newspaper too. Um, and then I, you know, post about the twins on my my Twitter account. That's my name at Betsy Helpand on Twitter. So. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I was really happy to be able to finally get you to come on and was stalking you through your uh, email address at the Pioneer Press. So thank you so much for joining us today. We'd love to have you come on again later on in the summer and see where the Twins are. I'm guessing they're still going to be a top first place while the White Sox are mired in continued mediocrity and getting shellacked by the dregs of society. So thank you so much for coming on with us, Betsy, and we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Betsy. Welcome back to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. Again, I'm Mike Carter here with Chris Torres, and we have another really special guest, somebody that we've been a big fan of for a long time on the show, and both individually when we're not being part of the show, and that's Nathan Grimm. Nathan, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm good, boys. How are you? Very good. We're really really excited to have you on. We've wanted to have you on for quite a while now, so thanks for being here with us this afternoon. Nathan, uh, tell us a little bit about your work at Baseball Prospectus, and we know that you can be found at Brotisserie, which is one of the greatest Twitter handles of all time. I have the worst Twitter handle of all time, we've decided, Um, but tell us a little bit about your work at Baseball Prospectus and how you got hooked on there. Yeah, so really it goes back to 20, well, I'll, I'll take you all the way back to 2011. I um, volunteered, basically. I mean, I was paid almost nothing to cover the Cardinals, like on a, on a coverage, like not a fantasy beat, just actually cover the Cardinals. And so I did that for the whole year and um, kind of built up a, a little following there, just, just literally writing about um, baseball every day. And then um, I covered the Rams in 2012 when they were still in St. Louis. And so uh, after that ended shortly into 2013, I just sort of joke, half jokingly tweeted out that, you know, I was looking for my next gig and, uh, Drew Silva was um, was had followed me because of my Cardinals work, and so then Drew was like, "Hey, you want to write for Roto World?" So um, I started in 2013 at writing for Roto World, and then um, did that for a long time. Uh, decided at a certain point a couple of years ago that I wanted to scale back on my um, writing responsibilities, and um, Roto World just you know the, the way that they are, they they kind of got a 24 hour news cycle. So um, Baseball Prospectus was a, a better speed for me made that switch and, uh, and took a year off last year, but uh, I've been there um, for, this is my second sort of season, um, but uh, started in 2021, I suppose. So, yeah. Very cool. So you, you took a break, you came back. What, what drew you back? What, what brought you back to, to writing and baseball pers- uh, prospectus? Uh, my wife told me that we needed that money. So okay. here I am. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Actually probably would have, Probably what it was more of is that she just didn't want you around the house so much, right? She just wanted you to do some more work. I, you know, that would that would uh, make sense if uh, if I didn't work remotely. So you know, it's it's. I mean, if that was her plan, it was foiled. But uh, but no, it was. Um, you know, it's it's a little bit extra income, and uh, it all helps. And uh, I don't mind doing it. So um, it, it just I I came crawling back, and Craig Goldstein uh, said, "Yeah, I would be happy to have you." So um, it all worked out. All right. Well, because I'm I'm too cheap to buy a uh, subscription to Baseball Prospectus, I'd like you to tell me about your latest article over there. I think it's your latest one. Uh, you wrote about Cabrian Hayes. Um, so if we could just start out by uh, you breaking down kind of some of the findings that you had in that article and, um, you know, what your outlook is on him for the rest of the season. Yeah. So the way that we that we do at BP is every other week you are basically given um, sort of carte blanche to write about whatever you want in a, in a fantasy freestyle piece. And so I like to, when I'm trying to come up with ideas for what I'm going to write about, I like to look usually at like a savant leaderboards and just kind of see if there's anybody interesting or anybody sticking out. And so I noticed that, that Cabrian um, 
is it was hitting the ball really hard, but obviously isn't having the results. And so I was curious and I looked into it more. And basically what I found was that he's got an, a very interesting profile um, where he's, he is hitting the ball really hard. He doesn't strike out almost at all. I mean, he, he swings with like the, uh, you know, the best in the league as far as, as not swinging just in general. And then when he does swing, he makes contact at a really high rate. But, um, and so it's like, well, you know, all of these things put together, it's, it's, it's a, it's a really strange thing that you, you are selective in when you're swinging, when you do swing, you make contact, when you make contact, you hit it hard. And yet all your numbers are, you know, pedestrian. And so I, I wanted to look in, into more about why that is. And um, basically what I, what I found, what I think I found is that he's really sort of more interested in being uh, a better real life hitter than he is a, a, a good fantasy hitter. And a lot of times those go together, but he, he's kind of subscribes to the old, um, you know, let the ball get deep and, and uh, you know, drive it the other way kind of stuff. And that's not, as we found, that's not conducive to hitting a lot of home runs. And, and uh, so um, he's hitting a lot of opposite field doubles or balls that are traveling to the wall and being caught. So it was, um, it was an interesting dive into him. Um, as far as, you know, looking forward, what I expect, I mean, I expect his numbers to get better and the expected stats say that he, he should improve on uh, what he's done so far. Um, so, you know, if he can start, I mean, if, if more of those balls start flying and uh, a commenter actually on the article said that um, that related to it, uh, that Ben Charrington was actually on his weekly radio show and said that they're working with him about improving his launch angle. And so um, I thought that was interesting context as well. And so, um, I mean, if the launch angle can go up and continue hitting the ball hard, you know, I think there's real profit potential there. But even if he doesn't, um, if he just keeps hitting the ball hard and gets better luck, I think that it can kind of be that you know, 15 homer, 15 or 20 steal to 60 season that, that we probably all sort of bought when we came into the season. Um, but, uh, but that he hasn't had so far. So I think it was just sort of an, uh, I wanted to know why he was doing what he's doing. And then I sort of wanted to um, offer some, some hope that, uh, that he shouldn't be this uh, for the next four months. That's really interesting. One of the things that we do on on this segment, Nathan, is we talk about the week that was, and we talk about one fantasy-related takeaway that we had from the past week. And so we kind of quickly go through that. Is there anything that happened in the last week that was a big takeaway for you in the world of fantasy baseball? It wasn't like one like lightning strike moment necessarily or one one isolated incident, but it really was. I just found myself reflecting on the, the, the sort of very basic, uh, you know, time old principle that, that, um, guys generally are who we think they are and that, you know, it is a, a long season. And so, um, water usually finds its level and outside of a few instances, um, you know, most or all of which have circumstances that help explain them. We shouldn't put too much weight on April or early May struggles or successes. And so, you know, you look at a guy like, I mean, I've got Alex Bregman on a couple of teams and have been obviously been, paying attention to how poorly he performed in April, but you know, you ride that out, you keep him in your lineup and then he's kind of come around here at the, uh, the back half of May and um, is, is, is going to be fine. And so many of these guys are going to be fine. And yet we, we spend so much time and energy uh, worrying about guys who are generally going to be what we, what we thought they were. And so it was a good reminder and looking at some guys watching some performances uh, guys tick up or, or kind of tick back down. That, um, that, you know, yeah, this we, we know this. We know this is who these guys are. That's terrific insight, really, when you think about it, because I think we're prone to jumping to conclusions quickly and, and obviously more quickly than we should, right? So that's really good feedback. Chris, you had an interesting takeaway this week. Would you like to share with everybody what that was? Yeah, so Nathan, you said that there are, are certain circumstances that sometimes we could point to that um, lead to players underperforming what their baseline is. And one thing, and, and I don't have anything to prove this, I don't have any data, but this is more anecdotal, but over the past few years, I've realized that these players that are coming off um, like a big free agent contract, so I, I'll name a, a few specifically. Last year, it was Trevor Story, who I was very dependent on, and, you know, partly injury, but really disappointed, even when he was healthy. And this year, uh, Trey Turner and Wilson Contreras are, are two guys that have um, that I am also very dependent on again and have severely underperformed. Now, maybe like you were saying, Nathan, maybe this is just an extended run of kind of like bad luck and they'll kind of find their level eventually. Um, but 
I, I do feel going forward, and this is me personally, I think I'm going to be a little bit more hesitant to invest in those players that are, are coming off a, a big free agent contract. Uh, I think we do sometimes overlook some of these uh, non-analytical um, factors, such as a player adapting to a new city, getting used to a new environment, um, the pressure of living up to that contract. I don't think that Trey Turner is going to be a complete bust, but do I think <clears throat> given those factors that he might perform at the lower level of his projection? Yeah, I, I, I think those factors could contribute to that. So I don't know. I mean, I, I want to get your thoughts as our guests. I mean, do you do you feel that that's something that we should factor in uh, to our process at all? Or do you think that's just horseshit, basically? I. I don't, I'm kind of like you. I don't want to tell people how to um, use that information because I, I don't think that it's like, that, like you said, there's really nothing sort of concrete about it. But anecdotally, I'm, uh, I'm right there with you. And um, I'll tell you that um, in one of my DCs, we drew the 1-1 the pick. And so we had, and it was actually my first DC. So I kind of, you know, the, the sort of the whole board was in play. And um, in looking at the options, I actually faded, uh, you know, faded being a relative term, but um, chose to go in a different direction than Trey Turner because when when you've got all these guys on the same level, you know, small things like that can be a, a you know a tiebreaker. And I did. I, I you've seen it happen where guys go and, and for whatever reason, like you said, um, new environment, getting used to your surroundings, living up to the contract. Um, I, I think that it is a a good sort of you know, tiebreaker kind of thing at the margins. If you're, if you're undecided on two players or something and yeah, I, I, I chose, I mean, I chose Ronald Acuna instead, which has worked out well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, um, I think that that's, that's super viable and something that, uh, that I also factor in when, uh, when thinking about players. Yeah, that's for sure. My, my takeaway really this week, it's not a new takeaway, nor is it anything that's really fancy to think about. What I did this year in some of the leagues that I'm a little bit more competitive in is uh, draft middle relief arms, arms instead of taking a team's fifth or sixth starter. And that's paid some dividends for me thus far. It's allowed me to keep my ratios and things under control and vulture some wins. So, so far I've been starting three and four relief pitchers in, in some leagues. In some leagues you can't do that and bypassing questionable starters. And so that has worked for me thus far in a couple of places. We'll have to see if that continues to work. I had a couple of people reach out to me directly and ask me what I was doing specifically and what I tried. So it's always an experiment. I'm always trying to do something that's different to try to be more successful at winning the game that we love. So moving on, we'll talk a little bit about looking ahead. And Chris, you had some interesting trends to look at among hitters and pitchers. Anything you want to comment on there? Yeah, so I want to comment on uh, two shortstops that right now have uh, have really underperformed recently. And I'm going to start with your boy, T.A., uh, Tim Anderson, who, man, like, it has just been a struggle for him this season. Uh, 0.009 ISO over the past 30 days, uh, just not getting it done. He's also not getting it done in the speed category, which is really the main reason that you draft a guy like Tim Anderson. Uh, only one stolen base over the past 30 days. And I found it interesting that even looking at his StatCast page, um, he's in the 44th percentile of sprint speed, which obviously you're not expecting uh, from a player like Anderson. So uh, I want to ask you, Mike, since you you follow him closely, you follow your, your big White Sox fan, what do you think is going on there that's leading to him really underperforming so far? I don't think it's injury related and and there's been a lot of talk that uh, some of it is that his heart might not be fully into it and that his uh, he's got a lot of things kind of going on that take away from his ability to be able to focus on playing baseball. Having been at the game on Monday, just anecdotally, you can see his body language looks really defeated. Um, He looks like he's not super interested. He made a really, it was a ball that got credited as a hit that Trout hit, but he dropped a really key line drive that, I think in normal circumstances, he would probably tell you he should have caught. Um, they're batting him atop the lineup. He's not getting on base. He's not scoring runs. He's really been out of it this year. And I, I don't know that it's injury-related. I don't know. This this team, as you and I talked about um, in between uh, shows here, is is really moribund. They're really, really bad. They should not be this bad. They've got a lot of talent, but they don't seem to have any leadership. We've gone from a guy in TA who three years ago was – 
changed the game and was revolutionizing the way that the White Sox looked at playing baseball, being aggressive, almost almost reckless at times, and being aggressive. And that player does not seem to be apparent at this point. Maybe a change of scenery would do him good. Nathan, what do you think about Tim Anderson? I mean, do you think, is he one of these guys you talked about players eventually getting to their level? Do you feel like we're going to see Tim Anderson get on a hot streak here eventually and he'll just end up with, you know, similar to his normal line? Or do you, are you more concerned if you, if you have him rostered anywhere? I think that he will generally probably end up looking like the guy that we expect him to now, um, you know, over the, the problem kind of is that, He's a guy who who's sort of a compiler because he doesn't, you know, um, hit a lot of home runs and, and really probably needs to play a lot to to get those steals and the things you bought him for. I mean, I guess, you know, batting average is another thing you probably bought him for, and that's obviously a, a rate stat. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I so I think that he, he may level out and be fine, but what does a fine Tim Anderson look like over four months, and is that really exciting? I don't, you know, I don't know. Would you take him or, or Royce Lewis the rest of the way? Yeah, I saw that question on the rundown. Um, ah, I, I, you know, it sounds I, I, I just talked about not being, you know, super reflexive, but I mean, Royce Lewis looks like he's ready for, for this. And so mm-hmm. um, there are a lot of guys that I wouldn't drop Tim Anderson for, but I, I actually do think I would probably take Royce Lewis. And that's, that's more probably, a vote of confidence for what Lewis has done and, and who we think Lewis is going to be than, than anything super negative about Tim Anderson. But yeah, I think I would, I'd rather have Lewis for the next four months. So you and I text back and forth and I'll, I'll save myself the energy and actually typing this out to you. Um, how, how much would you spend on Royce Lewis uh, in a fab league? Uh, a lot of NFBC leagues, he would not, he has not been available. He will be now that he's in the player pool. This Sunday, um, give me a percentage of, of what you'd be willing to spend on Royce Lewis. Uh, so the what I'll what I'll tell you is probably what I assume that he's going to go for. I don't know that I would be willing to spend this just because I've I've had a hard time stomaching most of the prices, which is you know you can you can argue that that's a poor process because you need to kind of be able to pay what the market says a guy's worth. But um, but I mean, what it probably it probably starts with a two, right? Like it's probably like at least 20% of a thousand dollar fab budget. Um, because just cause we've seen, I mean, we saw Matt McLean go for the high one hundreds. Uh, and I think that Lewis is generally regarded as, as on par or maybe, you know, better than McLean. And so, yeah, I think, uh, especially considering what he's done, even just in the couple gate, you know, games since being recalled, um, it's probably what 20, 25%. What do you think? Yeah, that's that's about what I'm thinking. Um, yeah, I mean, he and especially if he has, you know, another home run this week, like we, we can get a little bit of a longer look at him uh, than we did with uh, Matt McLean. So I think, yeah, if, if he even, you know, performs adequately, I think he's he's definitely going in that 20 to 25 percent. I think you're right. Um, definitely, uh, that's I, I think he's a real deal, too. So I'm with you on that. Um, I will. Um, I'm actually personally, I'm comfortable in investing that in him. So, um, but moving on to another shortstop that was a fantasy darling over the fat, uh, over the first few months here. And that's Jorge Mateo. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the shine is worn off on this one, right? I mean, he started out, he was potential like fantasy MVP, especially based on where he was drafted this season. Uh, and it, it's been ugly over the past 30 days. He's got a 138 Woba. Uh, the contact and the hard hit rate have tanked. Uh, he's been a little unlucky. I will put that out there in, in terms of his uh, batting average on balls in play. But, um, you know, the bottom line is, like, I was already concerned about Jorge Mateo. I, I've got him nowhere. Um, you know, going into the season, I was like, well, you know, the Orioles, they, they've got some guys that are coming up. They've got a Joey Ortiz, a Jordan Westberg. Um, you know, so I thought there was some playing time risk there unless he absolutely smashed out of the gate, uh, which he did, obviously. But I, I think if the results aren't there for a longer period of time and given how Jordan Westberg is performing in AAA, um, I think now is the time to kind of get out from underneath that if you can get anything, you know. So I think uh, just for those that roster him, just a heads up that you, you may be looking at um, – you know, something that's that's really not worth much at all 
uh, in the very near future here. But uh, moving on to pitchers, I wanted to uh, point out a, a couple guys that I think maybe are are flying under the radar. I, I don't mean to to be all negative this episode. Usually we look at players trending up, but uh, a couple here uh, uh, pitchers that I think are also trending downward. Uh, and, and first one is Josiah Gray. Now, I, I got the sense like early in the year, like a lot of people were starting to buy into Jos- Josiah Gray you know, thinking that he had taken that next step and, you know, finally tapped into that potential that he had shown um, as a prospect. And listen, the surface stats with that 277 ERA, obviously that looks good, but I caution those who've rostered him, watch out because regression is coming. I mean, if you look at the underlying stats, XFIP of a 4.97, he's really not getting the strikeout, like a 19% strikeout rate is not getting it done. Um, Sierra is 5.12. So he is someone that if you have him rostered, just if you're going to be putting him out there and starting him every week, um, you really got to be cautious with that. You got to be looking at the matchups because I think, uh, the blowups are coming. You know, he is not taking a step forward and, uh, you know, moving to a reliever now, and I wanted to get your take on this, Mike, uh, Kenley Jansen, uh, you know, starting out in the air, his velocity was up. A lot of people were saying, oh, what 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 pitch clock issue, you know, um, saying that he, he had adapted perfectly well to that. Um, but, you know, he if you look at the underlying stats for him, I think there's plenty of reason to be concerned. And uh, I think his XFIP over the past 30 days is or 7.14 Sierra over the past 30 days. So, Mike, what I want to be at what I want to ask you is. Is Chris Martin a guy that we should be stashing uh, if if we have Kenley Jansen rostered? I think you can, and I think if you if you do have an opportunity to have him and you can stash him, then you should. Kenley is no stranger to having stretches where he's struggling. Um, you got to remember, here's a 35 year old guy with some potential health issues, although he seems to be healthy right now, and he's really essentially throwing one pitch, right? I mean, if you if you look at the stat cast for for Kenley. <laughs> He's not really trying to surprise you with what he's doing, right? He's got, you know, 80% of the time he's throwing some version of a cut fastball. And and that's kind of what he's doing. But against righties, he's thrown in about 89% of the time. And so he's pretty much given up on anything else, slider or the sinker uh, against anybody, and is really relying heavily on that cutter. He did have a save his last time out. Um, it would not surprise me if the Red Sox decided if they continue to slump that you know, they, they might give him a week or so to kind of get himself re- reconfigured and, and go back. But they spent a lot of money to keep him as their closer. And I, I don't think that any swap out of Jansen for Martin would last real long. One of the things that's really interesting when you look at his stat cast data is his walk rate is way up. He had a walk rate over 14% when I looked at it over the weekend, which is sort of unlike him. And so if he gets that corralled, he might be able to get back into the driver's seat and, and be the closer that we think. But here's the thing. You guys know me. The last couple of years, I have been the guy that's been sending the death knell for Kenley Jansen for a long time. Like, this could be the beginning of the end. I think when he falls off, it's going to happen really quickly uh, and without too much warning. Although, looking at his Sierra and the walk rate and things right now, the strikeout rate's also down. You know, we could be nearing that that precipice here. Nathan, do you have Kenley anywhere? No, he wasn't. Um, I The way that I attacked saves this year after – assessing last year and being really uh, that being one of my real weaknesses. And one of the reasons I think that I didn't, didn't um, cash in most places uh, I decided to do the uh, elite closer and then uh, maybe like a, a back end guy. So Kenley was right in that sort of range where I wasn't taking closers. So I, I don't have any Kenley. All right, Mike, take us through some other bullpens that we should be watching. So there's two that I'm really kind of taking a look at right now that I've been really interested in. And one is the Cubs bullpen. And, you know, Torres, you and I have spoken uh, several times about Adbert Alzelay. Last night he came on in the eighth inning of a, of a 2-1 game against Tampa, four strikeouts and two innings. He's by far the Cubs' best arm in the bullpen. And I think he's going to get save opportunities moving forward because, let's face it, they really don't have too many other great options. They used Mark Leiter Jr. yesterday in the seventh before turning it over to Kenley. I really see that being a, a key thing there. I, he's definitely, at the very least, he's a multi-inning relief weapon. And at his best, I think he could definitely be the closer. And he was jacked up after he got that save yesterday. 
So I, I think that, that they might have hit on something there. I, I've actually been asking for several months now to them for them to consider using Alcelais to close her. So I think if you can grab him anywhere, if he's av- available in your league, you should. He's somebody that definitely looks like he's going to be getting some opportunities. And the other one that I'm really interested in is St. Louis right now because Ryan Helsley, who was otherworldly last year and arguably the best reliever in baseball all of last year, um, blew a save on Sunday, and Giovanni Gallegos has the last three saves in a row for St. Louis and six saves in the month of May. Now he has seven saves total to Helsley's six. I think that this is really one to watch because Helsley's ERA in the ninth inning is almost six, and every other inning that he pitches in, he's been far better. I wonder if maybe the thought process there might be to ease him out of the ninth and ease Gallegos back into the ninth because when you really look at Gallegos last year, he did not lose that job because he was ineffective. He lost the job because Helsley was so damn dominant. And so I wonder if maybe there, at the very least, we're looking at a committee, but the usage pattern over the last couple of weeks really would favor uh, Giovanni Gallegos being the guy that you're targeting there for saves over Helsley. Can I apply those stats that he accumulates this year to all my uh... – Giovanni Gallegos shares from last year. Can I can do a <laughs> retroactive thing? Right. Uh, Wouldn't that yeah, be great? You, you burned me big. Yeah. And Housley's got a, a walk rate over 11% to right-handed hitters and Gallegos is about 4%. So mm-hmm. there's a, there's some differences there when you kind of look at the stats. And I mean, obviously we look at the stats that we want to look at that we think are important, but it looks like we could have a changing of the guard there in St. Louis, even though Housley's surface numbers look pretty good still. Mike, um, can I just pause you for a sec? Cause I, I have to get this out there. You've only done two mm-hmms over this whole podcast, and I just want to say I'm proud of you, man. I'm really proud of you. I'm working hard. We got some really good input from a listener and a friend and a guy that I've known for many years in the field, and he was right. When I went back and listened to it, it was terrible. So, yeah, I mean, listen, this is for for all our listeners – um, our hundreds of thousands of listeners um, just know that if you have any feedback, it could be critical. It is always welcome, but only if it's about Mike. OK, <laughs> if it's about me, you keep that shit to yourself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> listen, I mean, Mike, you need to bring it to our attention. So I'm anyway, spi- I, <laughs> I just wanted to get that out there. Thank uh, you. you know, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I th- you knew I had to bust your balls about that. But anyway, well, you know, being, being a special ed administrator, I get a lot of criticism, so it doesn't really bother me at all. And I and it was very constructive feedback. It came it from it a really good place, and it's something that I do need to work on. So moving on to our next section here, we're talking a little bit about recommendations. And these would be fantasy-related podcasts or articles or pieces of content that you've found helpful over the past week. Chris, we'll start with you on this one. What, what have you been looking at? So I wanted to give a plug to Eric Samulski's Sunday Tribune. Uh, so this is a Substack that I signed up for, and he recently made some of the the part of it um, he put behind a paywall. Um, and I'm cheap, and I haven't signed up for that either. But but there's still a lot of good info on there. Um, you know, he he just really he dives into kind of like what we do the week that was, but. Much better. Uh, he talks about he like he'll outline like the uh, you know who had the most hard hit balls, who had the most stolen bases, and it really gives you a good prep heading into Sunday Fab. Like it, it really just gives you a nice um, encapsulation of everything that's happened. Um, so I I, I want to put out a plug for that Eric Samolski. You can find him on Twitter. Uh, he's also a great writer. Uh, he also has the the Catcher's Corner podcast that he does. So just um, you know, definitely recommend following him. And again, the Samolsky Sunday Tribune. I'm sure it's like one of his pinch tweets. You could find it there. Uh, but you know, definitely sign up for that. Absolutely, uh, Nathan. How about you? Anything that you're looking at over the course of the last week that you found interesting that you'd share with our listeners? Yeah, I don't. Um, I, the way that I operate is that I, I in the winter months, I just cram as much fantasy baseball content as I can. Like I, you know, all the podcasts and, and I'll listen to six, you know, third base previews really try to make sure that my, my prep is on point. And once the season starts, I think I'm so burnt out from consuming all that, that I, that I consume like nothing as far as fantasy baseball in season stuff. Uh, but one thing that I do, it's like appointment listening for me is 
the Sunday night road to wire baseball podcast uh, that Jeff Erickson and Scott Jen said to um, just really sort of, you know, I, 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 it's, it's like a conversation. It's like being, having a conversation with uh, two friends, um, you know, except that those friends are really smart baseball minds and uh, also that we're not really friends. Um, so, uh, but uh, I, I really, so I like to listen to that just to kind of get, you know, they, they touch on all the, the things from the week, you know, all the guys that, that are probably worth knowing about good and bad. And then they do like kind of their fab recap and all that stuff. So, and then they look ahead too. I mean, it's a really sort of a, uh, it's, it's only an hour, but it's a good sort of, you know, week that was slash looking ahead to the week um, and, and all done in a, in a way that's really easily digestible. So I really enjoy it. Yeah, they are terrific together. And in fact, in, in Arizona last November, I got to meet Jeff Erickson and I had kind of one of those like Chris Farley, Paul McCartney moments from SNL. And I was like, you're, you're Jeff Erickson. And he's like, oh yeah, I am. And he was, he couldn't have been nicer. I was like, yeah, you're kind of a legend. He's like, well, that just means that I'm old. Blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. It was really <laughs> super to meet them, those guys. And honestly, it is one of the best podcasts out there. My shout out for the week is going to go to Bubba and the Bloom. Uh, I've been listening to Bubba for many, many years and have always respected Ryan Bloomfield's work at HQ and have always used his boards and different things of that nature to try to become a better player. When you listen to those guys talk to each other, they've got great rapport, but they also give you great food for thought. And, and, and in my world, I sometimes feel that in the fantasy baseball world, sometimes people don't mean to be necessarily, but there can be some condescension or act like we're the be all and end all when it comes to talking to other people. Ryan, sometimes they and, mean to be, though, but that's not true. That's true. <laughs> but but that's not Bubba and Ryan. They're two of the most down to earth, really great guys, super, super friendly um, and have really great rapport. They welcome you. And it feels like like you were saying, Nathan, you feel like you're listening to a conversation among friends. Right. So it, they just do outstanding work week in and week out. So shout out to those guys, Bubba and the Bloom. They do a great job with their podcast. And we're coming to the end of our time here together with Nathan Grimm, who is a guy that we've wanted to head on the show for a long time. Nathan, thank you so much for making some time today and coming on with us. We really appreciate you making that time for us. We like to end our show always with uh, talking about mental health. And I'm a special ed administrator by trade. Torres is a, is a therapist by trade. And we feel like it's really important to continue to have conversations, open conversations about mental health. And so, Nathan, one of the things that we ask our guests when they come on is to think about or identify one thing that they've done in the last week or two to maintain their physical and or mental wellness. What's something that you do to make sure that you're keeping your mental health in check? Yeah, so I'm going to uh, hijack this a little bit because it's it's a really sort of uh, poignant topic for me. But um, I, so again, to kind of give you the full picture. Um, I have a toddler who just turned two and, and at the end of April. And so, um, the last couple of years have been spent, you know, not sleeping and generally just dealing with, um, you know, a, a small child. And so, um, you, you, as you guys both know, you sort of tend to lose yourself, um, and, and lose a lot of the, the things that you like to do, uh, when you're trying to just keep these small humans alive. And so, um, I, you know, have not really had a lot of, I mean, fantasy baseball really is sort of the, the hobby that I have that and, and um, Illini football. Um, and so um, fantasy baseball is, yeah, is, is kind of one of those escapes, but even that, you know, how much of an escape is it really? Um, but the point is that, that I, I didn't even see it happening, but I slowly sort of was becoming, um, you know, I wasn't taking care of myself um, basically in any aspect and was uh, becoming, not someone necessarily that, that I wanted to be certainly, or that, that people really liked. And so, um, I'd never done therapy before. I'd never, um, saw a need for it. And, uh, a couple months ago, I took the initiative to, uh, sign up for talk therapy and have been seeing a counselor for a couple months now. And, um, it's been really, I mean, a huge step, um, really been helpful. Um, even if, even if you think, you know, I'm someone who thinks that I'm pretty in tune with myself and, and have a, a pretty good self-awareness and, and know kind of uh, where I'm at. But just having someone who basically is paid to listen to you talk uh, for an hour or whatever is 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 really sort of, you know, it is, I mean, therapeutic, which is, of course, the, the word. Um, so I, yeah, it's it's a very sort of poignant uh, topical question for me because I I uh, just here in the last couple of months um, took a big step in, in, uh, in making making uh, my mental health a priority and I'm um, feeling better. And, and hopefully, 
you know, getting to a point where I won't need, you know, we've already scaled back from weekly to biweekly because, um, you know, she thought I was um, doing well and, and we had fewer things to talk about. And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been um, a really good thing for me and uh, super important. And I was excited when, when uh, Taurus said that we were, there was a mental health minute. We were going to talk a little bit about this because it, it definitely like fits right in with kind of what I've been going through here. That's amazing. It's, it takes a lot of courage to be able to step up and do what you're doing and and then talk about that. So thank you for sharing that with our with our listeners. It's a really, really important thing. And it's something that Chris and I talk about a lot offline, which is, you know, men and mental health, we don't talk a lot about it. We just kind of grin and bear it or kind of get ourselves through it. So kudos to you for taking that step for you and for your family and your loved ones to be able to be more present with them and everything that you do. Chris, how about you? What's something that you, what's something that you're doing? Look, it ties a little bit into what Nathan was talking about in, in terms of kind of checking in with yourself and, and being self-aware. And I needed to do that actually this morning. Um, I had a really I, I texted Nathan, uh, you know, just letting him know I, I, I couldn't get the outline name because my son was just a monster last night. <laughs> and, you know, things have kind of been accumulating. You know, there's we, we've gone through some stressful things recently and uh you know, uh, not taking care of myself and um, putting others' needs ahead of my own, um, trying to work, do everything I got to do. And, uh, you know, last night was was kind of the, the culmination of all of that. And this morning, you know, I'm the type that like I never I, I always like prided myself on never calling out of work, you know, like always being that like the perfect attendance guy and, and doing everything by the book. And this morning I woke up and I was like, yo, this ain't this, I, I can't do this right now. Like, uh, I, I, I just, I need a break. I need a mental health day, you know? And I know sometimes people look at that, like, you know, as unnecessary, but I, I think, um, I think we all do, you know, we all need that at a certain point, but I, I think the bigger takeaway though, is just being able to check in with yourself and intervene before things become unmanageable. And, you know, in, in working with clients, I see that so often, is, you know, things gradually uh, accumulate over time. And, you know, then all of a sudden they wake up and they're like, holy shit, my life is falling apart. You know, and a lot of us are just living life on autopilot. You know, we're just doing what we got to do day to day. And um, we don't realize that that we are neglecting ourselves or just mentally we're, we're going to uh, to a negative place. So, you know, something I'll do with my clients actually is um, I'll have them make like a, a, a one to 10 scale, like actually draw it out and I'll have them identify like at each point in the scale, let's say like stress, you know, like a, le- a level 10 stress is the most uh, one is the least. And at each point of the scale, I'll ask them to identify like, what is it about them at each point that is different? You know, like at a level five, how are you behaving? How are you thinking? How are you feeling at that point? And then compare it at, at each point on the scale. And then at each point, you know, give like an intervention that they could use if they want to scale that down. Um, you know, so I think that that's just something I, I want to put out there. Maybe that's an exercise. If you're listening, you could try yourself like just, all right, maybe today I'm at like a level six, you know, but, and my baseline is more like a level three. Let me, what can I do to get myself back down to that baseline? So, uh, but yeah, just wanted to share my own personal, like today I took a mental health day. I actually ended up, uh, me and my wife, she was off. So we went to, um, Hudson Valley Renegades, which are, are really close to where I live. Jackson Holiday was, uh, playing over there, uh, with the, the Aberdeen Ironbirds. So I was like, you know what? They're playing. Let's, let's just go check it out. We watched the game. We had a really nice lunch. And like, I, I feel like I'm already in, in such a better place. So a little That's bit about awesome. my personal experience and, uh, yeah. So, so just be, just try to be as self-aware as possible and checking in with yourself on a regular basis. That's amazing. Sounds like a great day. Awesome. Good for you. That's really cool. Um, for me, and I, Chris, I kind of shared this with you a little bit off air, but we had uh, a couple of tragic situations here in my town over the last week. We had a, a friend who was riding a bike, trying to cross a busy street who was hit by a car and was killed. Um, a 42 year old mother of five, Son graduated from high school two days after she was in a coma uh, in the car in the accident. She did finally pass away last Friday. Services are this coming weekend. And I don't say that to make anybody feel sorry because these are things that happen in every community in America. We also had a 
um, a carjacking that ended in a shooting and, and a killing of the suspect about a mile away from where I live. And so these things all happen within like a two day radius. Now, technically, I'm off of school right now because we don't start our summer session until the second week of June. And so I immediately last week began thinking we need to do something to get out of town, the four of us, my wife and my two kids. Like we got to go do something when we have a little bit of time. And so we're taking a quick trip up to Michigan next week for four days just to kind of clear the mechanism a little bit and and spend a little bit of time together. And, and I think that my message to listeners today is to really pay attention to what you give your time to. Um, losing our friend Emily this week really made me think a lot about family and think a lot about what people leave behind when they have these tragic incidents. And um, I always try to remind myself, you know, it sounds morbid, but if you are, if you die on a Monday, you're going to be in the ground by Friday and life will go on without you. Um, work will go on without you, whether you're there or not, you're, you're going to be replaced and they will move on. And so what is not replaceable is the time that we spend with loved ones and doing the things that we love doing. I love doing this podcast. I love doing these things that allow me to be able to get outside of what I'm really comfortable doing working in special education and try to flex a little bit different muscle. And so my message for the week is, you know, really pay attention to what you spend your time on. Everybody wants a piece of your time, but parcel that time out like it's gold because it is gold and we never know when our time is going to be up. And that will take us to the end of our podcast. Speaking of time being up, Nathan, I want to give you a final opportunity to share where people can find your work uh, on Twitter and what you might be working on right now. Yeah. Um, so like I said, Twitter is brotisserie, um, which just made me laugh. And so that's, that was, uh, all of it came behind making that <laughs> Twitter handle, um, that, and, uh, I didn't really love Nate Grimm cause nobody called me Nate. Uh, it was just something that uh, was available. So, um, uh, and, uh, as far as what I'm writing, I, every week I do, uh, along with those, those, um, the freestyles that I mentioned uh, every week I do the deep league landscape, which I really love doing because it really sort of, you know, weaves in perfectly with the kind of formats I like to play. So, um, you know, that drops on Thursdays. I just filed mine a few minutes before we uh, hopped on here for this week. And um, so, yeah, so I appreciate anybody checking that out uh, at BP, but um, yeah, that's really all I'll do. That's great. Well, you know, we, we thank you so much for making time today. We know that it can be hard in the middle of the day to be able to find time to do these things. So we've wanted to have you on for a long time. Really pleased that you were able to come on with us. For Chris Torres, I'm Mike Carter signing off on this week's episode of the Fantasy Baseball Beat. We'll be back next week with I'm not exactly sure what we're going to be doing next week, but we will be back with something great and hopefully something that you can enjoy. Until then, thank you for listening. Take care. Please also, if you do listen to the show, Give us a rating if you would be so kind and look out for our next episode that will be coming out here in the next couple of days. Thank you so much for your time. Peace.